0: We almost got fired. I think this slide could be called How Studio Trope Almost Got Fired because of Critical Regionals. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Hello. Hello.
1: Hello. 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 Hello and welcome to Architecting. What's up everyone? Welcome to a new episode of Architecting. My name is Rob Cleary. I'm a new producer on the show, helping Adam out with the podcast, so you might be hearing a bit more from me in the future. This week we're sharing a live interview recorded at the School of Environmental Design at University of Colorado Boulder between Adam and Adam Harding of Roth Shepard Architects, Joseph Montalbano of Studio Trope Design Collective, Nicole Nathan of JNS Architecture and Interior Design, and Rebecca Stone of Oz Architects. As a current Master of Architecture student at CU Denver, I especially enjoyed this one because Adam asked each architect to share some of their early work and how the ideas they explored influenced projects later in their careers. I loved hearing the concepts behind the work and how they use storytelling as a means of communication with their client, the public, and within their offices. You can see images from each guest presentation at our website, architecting.com. Finally, Adam wraps up the event with some written in and audience Q&A. Unfortunately, the microphones had some trouble picking up some of the students' questions, but if you're looking for advice on how to stand out as a job applicant, you'll definitely want to listen through to the end. So with that said, we hope you enjoy this episode of Architecting. Hey, we're happy
2: to be sponsored by Modern in Denver magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects spreading the gospel of good design within our region.
3: And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram.
2: Check it out. Yeah, cool. All right, well, let's get this thing started here. So, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for coming. This is an interesting uh, coffee with an architect uh, event. Uh, thank you for thank you to see you, uh, Boulder, for hosting this and for. Brandon and IAS and, and Lauren for setting the show up and running around uh, and printing off papers that I forgot and uh, everything. But uh, yeah, so thanks for being here. Um, my name is Adam Wagner. Uh, I'm a, a Denver-based architect, uh, uh, principal at uh, Vessel Office of Architecture, and I teach at CU Denver. Um, I... Uh, I'm a graduate of Kansas State University and Yale, and uh, worked around uh, for firms in in Kansas, in the Netherlands, and in, in Mexico, and New England, uh, and then I've been here in Colorado for the last uh, six years. Um, but I just really like things like this. I, I like just talking about architecture with architects. And uh, about a year and a half ago, I set up a, a podcast for Colorado. Um, Based architects and interview show, just to kind of get get people's stories out and uh, help kind of bring bring people together. so this is this is nice where it's not in my little pantry closet uh, zooming in with somebody, but we actually get to be here in person with with everybody. Uh, so yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Um, Uh, So today we have this uh, fantastic group of of local architects running uh, Colorado-grown firms, um, running Colorado-grown firms. Uh, So go to my next page of these notes. So yeah, so we have Adam Harding of Ross Shepard. We have Joseph Monteblano of Studio Trope. Uh, Becky Stone of Oz and Nic- uh, nicole nathan of Jonathan Um and so I, I always hate these events where um, you introduce the guests and and you have like you like read off their bio on their web page uh, so i 'm not going to do that we 're kind of going to let these guys uh introduce themselves and I was thinking kind of uh for the setting that we have here uh. Instead of just kind of introducing themselves, I gave them a prompt of um, show us a school project that you did maybe a long time ago, Uh, show us a a professional recent project, and then talk about the sort of journey between those two. And so they each have uh, five minutes and a maximum of 10 slides. And so we're going to do this kind of introduce themselves that way. And then uh, we have questions that some of you sent in, and then we'll do some live Q&A, then, then close up a little bit. And then uh, the most ambitious of you can kind of mob them to figure out how to get jobs or, or whatever. Um, but so let's get started. So I think we're gonna go uh, with, the, with the CU grads first. Uh, so we'll go with, with Nicole. Great.
3: So I'm Nicole Nathan. Um, I am with Johnson Nathan Stroh, JNS Architecture and Interior Design, and I went to school here um, for undergrad, and then I went to University of Illinois in Champaign for graduate school. Um, so uh, when Adam asked me to to gave us this prompt, I went back into some archives and didn't really find a lot that I wanted to share, but I did find this piece that I had pulled out of a. A magazine at some point in um, school. And it was really inspiring to me. I came to see you as an undecided freshman. And I thought art would be where I would go. And I was good at math. And I hadn't thought about architecture. And I um, was worried that I would do art, but not be able to, you know, kind of make it and that it maybe wasn't as, um, as strong of a profession as I wanted it to be. So I found the environmental design um, building and someone told me some stories about staying up all night and they were very passionate and I was, for some reason, thought that was a good idea. So I, I came to um, to this building and uh, went through undergrad. And then I went to University of Illinois. And so this is a, a project that I just picked this project because first of all, it looks very, um, not very in depth to me. <laughs> and but. Um, the reason that I chose this one to show is just because at the very top there, just a little bit cut off, but you can see this image of um, an Aboriginal art piece. And I think this is really kind of the beginning of where I was really searching for a story or a reason behind the design decisions that I would make in school. I really struggled in school to um, stick with a design decision. I just would think of, you know, a lot of different ways it could happen and Um, And it was really tough for me to kind of commit to something. And so for me, the journey as an architect is really figuring out um, what is going to be that guiding rudder for me as I move through design and um, into my career. So this one kind of shows the beginnings of that. I was very much looking at, um, you know, precedents in indigenous work and looking at um, this idea of kind of passive cooling with Courtyards, and so that's um, that's the reason I'm showing this slide. But let's move on. <laughs> so, um, so this I chose one project, and this project was pivotal to me and to our firm. And so, this is the Maven at Dairy Block in Lower Downtown. This is like right in our backyard. Our offices are right across from Union Station, and so um, this is a hospitality project, which is one of our expertise, and. Um, in coming out of the 2008 recession, I um, sort of led the firm to add interior design as part of our services. And so, this idea of combining inside and outside really, um, this was the first project that it, it, I felt like we really dug our feet into it and, and our teeth into it and got to do a lot of really interesting things and tie it to story. So from here, the process of what we do at our firm is we really come up with a story for every single project. That story is based in context, history, location. It's about the site. It's about what you want to tell the user about the site and and the location in which they're in. Hospitality has this unique capacity for that because people go places and travel there. And this is like a framework by which they experience a place. So it's really exciting to be able to tell that story. So here we are in Lower Downtown. This was where the city of Denver grew up from the railroads. There was um, a communication of goods and services along the railroad. And as the um, this part of Denver grew up, these buildings remain. So we've got warehouses and factories, and um, they look a certain way. And, you know, it, there's a Lower Downtown Design Review Board that wants to help Keep that, you know, historic piece, and really create work that is contextual to that. And that's why it, one of the reasons that that place feels so cohesive and that people want to spend time and live and work and play there. And so we wanted to tell the story of the maker and kind of look back on the history of what happened in Lodo. What was happening when we were working on this was that it was more about startups, but it was still about this idea of pass- passing ideas rather than goods. And so um, there's there's an alley behind this building called Maker's Alley. This whole entire block was developed at once and those two um, things communicate with each other. And so it's curated really beautifully. This is some of the interior pieces that um, that we've done. Um, You can see that we were inspired by artists living in lofts in lower downtown. Um, This is a mural that's painted directly on the wall. Um, so really getting into every single detail of this project was so exciting and I could go on and on, but I have not very much time. And then you can see it here contextually, which is, um, is, was something I wanted to show because to us, that's super important about how it fits into the fabric of the, um, the urban atmosphere. And this is my, uh, business partner and myself sitting in the alley uh, of Dairy Block. And that's my story.
4: All right. I'm Adam Harding I am a partner at Roth Shepard Architects I took Adam's prompts and threw it out the window tossed it, tossed it the <laughs> fuck out the window um,
5: <laughs> yeah, like I went
4: with all my projects from undergrad uh, I went to see you here uh, and I graduated in 2004, and then started at Roth Shepard about a week later, and haven't left. So that's a weird story. But I uh, I wanted to kind of take you on a journey of my projects, um, starting from some earlier work uh, to some later work, and kind of tell that story. Um, similar to Nicole, it is all about storytelling and the concept and. So uh, back when I first started at Ross Shepard, we were doing a lot of Tokyo Joe's restaurants. This is one in South Glen, Colorado. Um, but the idea was really about this idea of energy and movement throughout the space, and then also creating this branded architectural identity that can be used and thought of in a different way through the materials that are used and the colors um, at different locations throughout Colorado, and they've since moved on to other states as well. But this uh, idea of bamboo using it in different, in different ways, we did this crazy hanging bamboo chandelier in this space and other spaces, we cut them into different size pieces and glued them to a wall. And so it's, it's really about rethinking materials in a creative manner uh, that can create something that speaks to the story and to the design uh, concept. Uh, DC 10. Uh, Brandon and I actually worked on this swine way back in the day, uh, but this was a nightclub in downtown Denver and DC 10 is an airplane. And it was all about this idea of flight and transportation to another location as a nightclub. And so we thought of this idea of the fuselage becoming the booths and this crazy tower coming from down from the ceiling as the control tower and really trying to take these big concepts of what it Air flight is and and travel and how can then we rethink that in a creative way to create a nightclub um, and create something special. This is Mod Market. Uh, this is not too far uh, down the street. This is their first location, and it was, it's a little bit more modern than I think what the, it's transformed into now. But when they first started, it came to us. It was about this idea about this modern um, market, and we took the concept of outdoor markets and that idea of canopy that sh- shelters the food below and then the organic nature of the surroundings around you. And so this uh, that horizontal canopy shielding the, the market space uh, create, became the concept of this linear tube uh, light tube throughout the entire space. And, um, and then Houston Police Department, this is a project down in Houston, obviously, uh, but The concept was really came from the mantra of the Houston PD, which was um, uh, it was was justice through law, mercy. I forget what it is, but but the idea was creating this this very rigid structural system and using these tilt up. Concrete panels to create that system, but then having these areas of respite be those areas of mercy that recess into the building that are carved with wood and that and glass that becomes these welcoming moments for not only the public, but for the staff and the PD that enter the building as well. Um, this is Izakaiden. This is a sushi restaurant in downtown Denver. This concept is all based upon. The idea of the Japanese design philosophy of wabi-sabi, which is finding the beauty of things imperfect and asymmetrical and how things, when they patina, they become more beautiful. And so the idea was to also create this restaurant that transformed every time you we were there with the seasons and how it opens up and breathes. and letting the metal panels just go up as raw material and letting it age and rust and become more beautiful every time. And so every time you go and experience the space it's changed and it becomes something different. Uh, This is the view house down at Centennial. Um, This was uh, an interesting project because it was an old Texas steakhouse that had a big barn structure on the back. And so we added about 15,000 square feet to the front of this, modernized barn-like structure that opens up to the views to the West and um, just became this modern interpretation of what a modern farmhouse could be attached to this existing farmhouse structure. And then Lumen Brewery, this is also downtown. Uh, the concept of this was based off of their the brand's concept of you know this unique brewing and fun um, ingredients coming in to create something different. And so they really wanted you to walk into the space feeling like you're in Blue Moon Brewery and no other brewery. And so we played off this idea of the Blue Moon and the Valencia Orange, which they're most famous for for their beer. And this idea of the circle and really trying to play that all throughout the entire space, thinking creatively creatively about how we break up the space using these big concrete industrial pipes to create booth seating that then relates back to the circle and the moon and the orange. And um, it's that idea of creating whimsy throughout the entire space. Uh, this is Tradecraft Industries. This is a uh, a co-working space for the AEC industries, so architects, engineers, contractors, and the concept behind this was how can we use off the shelf materials in a creative way that are utilized in, that have multiple uses. And so we took the 20 foot long shipping containers and basically created the entire base out of them. And at the very end, it's got two 40 foot and so that creates a big bullpen center space, which becomes a working space. And then we poured a concrete slab on top of the containers. And then we wrapped it in a pre-engineered metal building and put offices on the second floor that all windows out and all the containers open out to the outside so that they could be rented out for contractors to store their goods. And so it was really thinking about how can we use these pre-manufactured or these components and use them in as many ways as possible to create something unique and special. Um, And then this project is Cafe Landscape. It's down by Union Station. You can go downtown? It's um, in the Colorado building, but this concept is all based around the uh, Scandinavian uh, uh, design theory of Hugh um, or you know, really trying to tie into the idea of the the forest and the, the natural materials, and creating this welcoming place where people can sit down and. Um, uh, connect and 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 step away from the busy life that is going on around them. And then this is the rabbit house. This is a project that was interesting in in the fact that we uh, we took a, a 1939 one story Tudor house and we basically left the exterior shell of the existing brick house and then extruded the new volume out from within it and and to create a second story. And so it was a it was a unique way of thinking about how we take those principles of a Tudor house, the pitch of the roof, and the noble materials and rethink it. And so it's not necessarily um, just another pop-top, but it's reimagining what a Tudor house or how you can relate to a, a traditional Tudor house in a modern context and way. Um, and that's what I can.
2: I was giving Adam a lot of crap because uh, when he was like, I don't know if I have a project image. And it's this is what happens when you get a job a week out of school and you don't have to put a portfolio together and then you've never been on another job interview in your career. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to compile yeah, but, that. Yeah, I was like, I don't need this shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> toss it up. But what, So I mean, you had this idea of, uh, you know, like storytelling and like materiality. Was there, was there a project in school that sort of like put you on that path? Or was it more of like, okay, I graduated and like, got into this environment and yeah. set it up. I think, you know, I, I I definitely learned a lot from
4: my mentors, Jeff Shepard and Herb Roth. But I do remember my first projects in my first studio was this outdoor pavilion that um I think it was the only project I actually got an A on. I kind of like regressed after that. <laughs> uh but it was really about thinking about how and the projects that you work on and not necessarily sitting on the landscape, but within the landscape. And I think that's important to think about as you progress in your career. It's it's not about putting a building on top of the landscape, but how can you integrate it into the landscape? And so um, that's one that resonates with me and and, um, obviously resonated with my professor at the time. Yeah, My other projects weren't that good, to be honest, but my model-making skills were on par. I think that's what got me my job.
5: Um.
6: So, great. I'm going to start with a pavilion. Also, so I drew this pavilion in 1988 when I was 16 in high school, and we had mechanical drafting class. So that's what interested me in architecture because I was learning how to draft nuts and bolts or whatever in mechanical drafting. I was the only girl in there, um, also the only girl in auto mechanics and all the other classes that were fun to take that nobody. Nobody else took, but, um, so, um, I got interested in it. I went, I I went to, um, Iowa state and like Nicole, I got to Iowa state and I thought I was going to be an interior designer. So I went to the college of design and then talked to them like, well, I still like math and this is some stuff I'm interested in. And then they kind of said, well, like I had a student advisor or something and they're like, well, what have you ever thought about architecture? So I signed up and, um, Went from there. Um, after Iowa State, I went to Cornell University, and one reason I went there is I had a really strong mentor at Iowa State that kind of said, "Like, are you interested in grad school? Like, maybe you should be thinking about it." So I just applied and got in, and um, did a thesis before this. I did a thesis on um, the components of Victorian housing and like the how you how you could order a mail order house and between the eighteen forties and nineteen thirties, and so. I got out of school and moved to Denver because it was very cloudy in and, and, uh, Ithaca, New York and rained all the time and I'd been a uh, skier. So that's why I moved here. Um, and I worked for Earl LeBron for a couple of years and did all production housing. So um, I learned a ton from the production housing and I'm, I'll show a little bit how I interpolate it. But um, you know, I kind of learned the builder method of housing. Dresses are you know every two feet. And I learned all these little rules about um, how to make housing really efficient, and it was my Arlo had the concept that everybody, no matter who they are, deserves a well-designed house. So we designed itty-bitty houses and like the you know cookie-cutter houses of the suburbs and like that. always stuck with me. So um, my next move, because I get a little bored with just houses, and so I went to Oz in um, 1998, and I've been there ever since. Um, and I started on the resort. And hospitality team and we mostly were doing intra resorts at the time and so ski resorts. So we started with Copper Mountain and we were doing um, Copper Village. Um, I worked on this one One river run at Keystone is down in the corner and um, I'll bring that up again because ironically I'm still working on it. So, <laughs> so I started it in 1999. Um, the first place I sort of went on my own started in, um, 2000. So I wasn't that long out of school only like four years. And I was working on Sanderson Gulf and beach resort, um, down on the panhandle of Florida. And, um, that was a super opportunity for me because, um, my boss at the time kind of said who was a fantastic mentor who and in his mentorship mode said, you're fine, just go do it. And so, um, I had to just, I had to just learn it. And, um, like I thank him every day for that, but I kind of did mass production villages, right? So, um, so this is, we did cottages, um, again, like my, the production housing, I always came in, came back in there because I liked laying out units and, um, condos and hotels. So like I've kind of stuck to that ever since, um, graduate school, actually. Um, and then at the same time, I, we were doing, I was doing a lot of work in California. So I worked on, um, Mammoth as the top left. Um, Death Valley, so um, Death Valley has a little oasis in the middle that 's now called Oasis, but it used to be called Furnace Creek, um, and we did that, and this is in Napa and Squaw Valley, so in between all those projects, I had two kids walking the projects while I was pregnant and flying to Florida and Squaw at the same time so um, it's just part of what part of what I did um, then about two thousand eight, um, when the recession hit. Um, I started, I was a pretty good project manager by then. Um, so I could run really big, complicated projects and the, uh, the hospitality and the resort market crashed. And so they said, well, what do we do with Becky? Like she needs something to do because I had, you know, I like to mass produce. So, so I started managing the firm. Um, <laughs> so, um, and I did that for a number of years and I'm trying to like exit out of that now. So that's a new spot for me. So I kind of have these waves. Um, but in that time, uh Sort of early, we did a lot of um we did all the punchable socials or the first thirteen of them, so then I got into the um restaurant part of the industry when the um condos were not so hot um super fun, like a lot more i think it it steered me to a lot more of the interior design part that I'm also passionate about and like that storytelling piece, so we'd always have to tell stories. And the placemaking part of resorts. I mean, every ski resort comes with sort of like why you know Snowmass Base Village has a whole story behind it. Um, and then I um, started doing. I think in the Intrawest years, which is until 2008 when the economy crashed, I was I was drawing a lot of designs that were by other people sometimes. So there would be a master planner on it and somebody with a napkin sketch, and then I was the person who executed it. So. That flipped in 2008 when some of those people either retired or like I started figuring out how to find work for on my own, and then you start seeing like my design come through. So I think one of the most valuable things is that was a pretty long span, but I got like tremendous mentorship from it, and it wasn't always at my firm. Like I got mentored from the developers at IntroWest and the the design architect out of Vancouver, or like it came from various sources, right and And so today I can talk some of this stuff because I just like absorbed it, um, from those guys. So this, well, one more thing on that one. So this is, um, deer, it's the Mayflower Master Plan at Deer Valley. So I do a lot of placemaking now from a big picture ski resort. Um, that, that's the gondola. We lost that job, but it was the gondola, um, at Big Sky, um, competition, um, and then and then right now, um, we're doing a lot of more boutique hotels. So the the market for um, what I've done is like gotten a little bit smaller and a little bit more boutique. So these are the projects we're working on right now in Whitefish, Montana, um, which are just really fun. And each of them has like a totally different concept um, that make it really fun to do. And I've switched out of managing the firm. So I get to spend more time on design, which is why I went to school too. So one one word of advice might be like i never thought i would like doing the business part but i wish i had more business class when i was actually in school that would have helped me um and then i'm we're 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 working on a lot of retreats so this is a corporate retreat in california and also really fun because the scale just shrunk down you know i did all this like super big stuff and finally i had to do stuff that's a little bit more detailed um and smaller so that's been really fun and then i find myself mentoring um a lot. I have a team that's 45 people and Oz is 135. So, um, 45 of us doing resort work is, is a lot. It's like a firm within a firm. Um, so this is one river run from 1998, but this is going to be kindred at river run, which will break ground in one month. Um, so after that much time, like I'm finally going to, like, I'm going to stay there until I get that thing built. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to happen. (laughs) Um, and then I'll end with, um, this is Lone Rock Retreat. So again, a retreat, and this one was a um, not-for-profit, and it was it's a retreat for um, public educators to come and like gather and socialize. And so we had to spend a lot of time on the interiors, like how do you get people that are coming from all over the nation on grants to um, be able to socialize with each other, right? And they have some are introverted, some are extroverted. How do we mix them up? Um, so this is sort of my inverse pavilion from 1998, so... I thought I'd end with that one. Still trying to get that pavilion though.
5: (laughs) All right.
0: I'm Joseph Montalbano. Thanks for having me. I'm with Studio Trope Design Collective. And I thought I ought to share with you who inspired me when I was a student before showing you some of my work, which was really fun actually to think back about. and sort of get re-inspired by it. So uh, Bernard Schumi inspired me um, for his way of thinking about architecture as an event, as, you know, architectural following as an event. Uh, Antoine Predock, I went to school at Arizona State University for my master's. He was down in that region at that time. And his his ability to understand the spirit of a place was quite moving. Louis Kahn, I'm sure you've heard of uh, his famous quote, the sun didn't know how great it was until it struck the side of a building, right? <laughs> uh, so daylight is important. Uh, Talio Ando minimalism, just knowing how to edit your ideas down to their essence. Incredible, incredible at that. And Carlos Scarpa, um, maybe more than anybody else, I was just, just sort of moved by his sketches and the way that he thought about materials aging and the patina that they would have. And, and, and that sort of led me to thinking about these two um, movements or theories, defamiliarization and critical regionalism. I don't know if you've heard of these, but defamiliarization is like it sounds. It's basically um, using common language or common materials, but in a new way to defamiliarize you with what you thought you knew so that you start thinking in a new way. And that yields this critical thinking, um, which is important And that fits right into critical regionalism. It's basically saying, yes, be contextual, but be critical of the context at the same time, right? So my thesis project tried to to embed all of these ideas. This is in Phoenix. Um, This is the entire sixth year of my education. I was able to focus on a project, which was really incredible. I spent a lot of time on this site. This is at the end of the runway in Phoenix, Sky Harbor Airport. Like literally right at the end of the runway, you can kind of see a clip of it there. And so these planes are just 100 to 150 feet over your head when they're when they're coming in. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but there's this sound that that airplanes make about 40 seconds after they've passed by you. That's really spooky. It's like it's you don't really hear anything. Then it's it's violently loud, and then it's quiet as can be. Like it's even more quiet than it was before. And then there's this spooky thing that happens. You'll have to just go experience it yourself. So this this really made me think about architecture as place. That site, the site is as important, if not more important than the actual built object. So site and program needing to come together. So the program I chose was a mausoleum. Uh, It's an underutilized piece of land and it had great history. And so I thought it would be interesting to mash together this crazy airplane noise with with death in this case, right, the cemetery.
2: Did you even like hang that airplane over the model? Like you even have the shadow of the airplane on there. (laughs) Impressive.
0: Yeah, who knows? knows? This is too long ago for me to remember how I did that. But it certainly probably wasn't the way we do it today, right? Um, And you're going to see some pretty scrappy sketches here. Uh, But the idea was, okay. how can I apply this defamiliarizing concept to my work? and and really get excited about architecture as experiential, more than anything. So instead of form following function, form following experience. And as a result, I was thinking about devices and the way that devices could could really be crafted around a desired experience, right? So like a pavilion that frames the, the airplane in a, in a unique way, or a chapel that's that's buried. Um, and you're completely isolated from the surroundings and then you're opened up to it. You know, the way that the body was handled was, you know, in a way very um, particular. And again, these are all devices so that architecture as event, you know, architecture, not as object, but as an experience. So you interpret your surroundings, then an event occurs, and then you're forced to reinterpret your surroundings. Uh, in a way that sort of opens you up to new ideas. So I won't go into all the devices, but you kind of get the idea, right? That to to break it down into simple things, like even a cart, the cart, the cart that would hold the the deceased until it was entombed, right? That's an important aspect. I remember my professor saying, "Are you uh, going to be a furniture designer or are you going to be an architect?" Right? And It was, it was meant to be an insult because I wasn't paying attention to, you know, I wasn't designing a building like my, my, my fellow students. But looking back several years later, I feel like it was maybe one of the most important things I designed was the cart for, for this project, um, for reasons that maybe we can get into later. Um, this quote I wanted to share because after I graduated, I was really charged up, right? I was. I spent all this time on this site. I really felt like architecture was about, like, we could go out in the world and we could design. Uh, we, we could we could think about a desired experience and then we could design a concept to to provide for that experience to occur. And then the first job I got, which was hard to get, was designing um, developer homes. So I I, I designed Ryland Home One Twenty Nine. If anybody lives in that one, <laughs> um, between here and Denver somewhere, and so. This quote kind of summed it up from how I was feeling when I was read it. The best things can't be told because they transcend thought. The second best are misunderstood because those are the thoughts that are supposed to refer to that, which you can't think about. The third best is what we talk about. And there I was feeling like, okay, I want to I want to do the best things, but I'm kind of stuck down here just having conversations. And I take it even further and say, you know, these conversations use recognizable knowledge right? Because we got to get this done, right? Like, come on, let's communicate and get through this. And that, of course, leads to familiar outcomes, which then lead, leads to familiar experiences, which is the thing I was trying to get away from. So in in the work that I've done since, I was lucky enough that less than a decade after graduation, I was able to start a company with, a, with uh, my wife. And we're 20 years into this now. So I have a few projects I'll share with you. Um This one... This one uh, I'm sharing because it's a it's a tennis center in Denver in Cherry Creek. If you know that region, the client brought this image in the lower left to our first meeting and asked if we could just do that.
5: <laughs>
0: they wanted an old English, like 19th century English clubhouse, and we felt that that wouldn't be that might be regional somewhere else in the world, but certainly not critically regional for Cherry Creek, right? And so we almost got fired. I think this slide could be called "How Studio Trope Almost Got Fired Because of Critical Regionalism." <laughs> and uh, maybe critical. Yeah. we maybe were, yeah. We just dug deep, asked questions. What was it about this, you know, these images that were important to this particular client? And we we sort of extracted from them what what experiences that they wanted to have, and then tried to design those experiences as the facility instead, mm-hmm. instead of providing them with this sort of visual uh, response, more of an experiential response. This is a residence uh, at the Erie Airpark, and the client was a surgeon, uh, a spinal surgeon, and and also a pilot. And one of the other tricks that we use to kind of uh, make sure that we don't get, you know, we don't have a very familiar looking result to our efforts is we don't let our clients use common language when they describe their building program. So instead of saying, you know, if I can, if I recall correctly, instead of calling her bathroom a bathroom, which we didn't allow, she chose to call it the rejuvenation space. Mm -hmm. Right. So all of a sudden it's not a room with a bath in it. It's a room to go and be rejuvenated. I mean, that makes a difference, right? When you're thinking about what kind of experience you want to have. But the cockpit was the sort of the the one I'm sharing with you here. She really felt when she was in her cockpit in her plane that she was outside of her body and she was having these really deep sort of moments. And that's exactly how she wanted to be when she was studying for her next surgery. And so her home office was her cockpit. This is a library in Denver. It's the Corky Gonzalez Library. Uh, The story I want to tell you here is that At our first community outreach meeting, somebody grabbed the microphone and said, you know, we were asking the community, what do you want at this library? And somebody said, I want a park. And there was this audible gasp in the room because everybody was like, No, we're not doing a park. Please move on, right? Like they looked to us as designers to just kind of like nip that in the bud and get on with it. But in fact, what Studio Trope did was we sort of dug deep into that. It's like, well. What, we're talking about a library here. So what is it about a park that, that interests you? And it was really simple. It was, I want to play, like this is on Colfax in Colorado, in Denver, right? So it's noisy. So I want a place away from the noise to read a book. I want to feel safe. I want to be outdoors and I want to be connected to nature, right? That was a park to this particular person. That, as you can see, really sort of drove the entire design after that moment. It caused us to create this living wall, carve out a donut hole on the second floor so we can have this outdoor space, right? And provide that so-called park at this library. And I think of that as the Shumi experience that I was so moved by in school where Bernard and Shumi would crash together different sort of disparate programmatic features into one building. And you don't necessarily think that they would go together, but in fact, they make each other better. This is in Boulder right down the road here. This is the National Institute of Standards and Technology. I included this one because of the spirit of place that I talked about with Antoine Predock. I think this is maybe the closest studio trope has come to really capturing the spirit of a place with our design. Um, if you've driven by this laboratory building, it was built in the middle of the last century, all concrete. I think it was a, ahead of its time. There was some concrete, you know, sort of advanced thinking there, but, What's happened inside the building for the last 60, 70 years has been incredible, right? In terms of creativity and how they've grown, and that hasn't been reflected on the exterior. You, you drive by today and it looks like 1950. So, so our charge was to, to talk to, the, to you know, those that are working in the laboratory, the scientists, extract from them what it is that they're doing. One of these guys says to us, light, did you know that light carries all the information? like, no, I did not. But that's kind of like what Louis Kahn said in a very different way. Uh, And so we worked on this light shroud, which was meant to give them not only a more energy efficient building, but sort of respond to what charges them up. Because this is a place that houses the atomic clock. Okay. So this is highly uh, detailed uh, uh, measurements that are happening here. And apparently it's all being done through light and a connection to nature. So what this shroud does is it not only casts, you know, a a fun pattern onto the ground and on the wall, changing throughout the day, but also the shroud itself, um, if you watch this in video, it it dances also. It's designed in a way that the light comes through, hits it and sparkles and changes uh, in a way that um, I think is reflective of the spirit of that place. And then lastly, Just because I was told that designing furniture is not architecture, (laughs) I wanted to share with you that we did start a furniture line. And instead of starting with a client and then going to a manufacturer and then installing something, we started with the customer. So back to the experience that I was talking about, uh, what is it that the customer wants? Never mind having a client yet and then take take that knowledge to somebody who wants to serve that customer and then find a path to get that done uh, so it's kind of that loop of customer back to customer
2: Joseph Joseph deserves like an extra, extra loud clap because we like crashed his uh, spring break and made him put together this PDF. And then he flew in about like two hours ago after getting delayed and sent me these images. Yeah, Indesign exploded. Yeah. So (laughs) thank you.
0: No, I really enjoyed it. You know, when you asked me um, in the past, when you've asked me to do stuff, at first I'm like, no, I don't have time. But then you get into it and you realize like, actually, these are the things I should be thinking about right? Like it kind of pulls you away from your daily grind and it's really, it's actually, um, rewarding. So thank you.
2: I think so we'll, we'll get to some of the questions you guys sent in, um, maybe to Joseph real fast, kind of picking up on that. The question was, uh, what helped you develop your most important skills in college?
0: Um, really, really close relationships with like-minded students. Um, who you know sort of egged me on to to explore things, um, you know beyond just you know let me show you something and get your feedback. It was more of like there was one person in particular who I got I became really close with because of how much he challenged my ideas and point poke holes in all of it, right? So I think I grew as a student a because I had some really fantastic professors, but. Mostly because I found two or three uh, colleagues that I guess keep down as, as much as I did on some of the stuff that we were exploring
2: at that time. Uh, let's go to another question. Be thinking about other questions you guys want to ask. Just raise your hand, blur it out, throw it at them. Uh, let's say... Um, let's go let's go adam because you were you were so successful at this uh what was the the most useful thing that helped you land your first architecture related job
5: <laughs> um, um, portfolio
4: yeah but no, my yeah my non-existent portfolio uh i think just being your authentic self showing what skills you have to offer you know i showed up in a suit that was probably too big for me and a couple of my models that I had built and that's all I had when I walked in there. Um, and so, you know, show, showcase what you what you, what your strengths are. Know that you don't know anything um, but you'll learn and have that and and show them that you're willing to learn and, and ask questions and and just be your authentic self.
2: Yeah, I think to like piggyback off that um nicole another one <laughs> seems like jobs are an important thing right now uh strangely uh what what can I do in school uh to be a more desirable job applicant what do you what do you look at you you probably get a lot of p- portfolios and things coming in
5: yeah
3: um I think that's a great question, but I, I mean, I think that the the way that you communicate that in an interview or through your portfolio or or however you um, put your information out there is um, is imp- is obviously very important. And I think it's just the ability to to demonstrate how you think um, that you can take an idea from here to there, and even if it's not the um, the best idea in the world doesn't matter just that you can think it through and bring it all the way across the board and um you know if and that you could be able to quickly sketch or solve something um whether it be by a hand sketch or a um sketchup sketch or even a revit sketch whatever that that you can do that really fast and just you know put different iterations out there so I don't know how you communicate that the best way, but, but that um, I think in your portfolio that can come across or just through conversation, just the the ability to um, communicate. And, and I think the asking questions thing is like the biggest, most important skill to come to a job with, not be afraid to not know the answer, but to just ask those questions. I was in a meeting yesterday with one of my partners and he was we were talking about this new project that we're doing that's on the East coast and it's a completely different structural system than we have used before. And I was sitting there going, God, what is that? So, you know, I was thinking to myself, I don't know that. And he asked the question and I was like, he, and I, he's a very technical, super smart person. <laughs> he, he was asking the question after, you know, 35 years of experience and just able to to do that. And I thought, that's exactly what everyone should be doing. And, and so hopefully you do that as you move out into your career.
2: Yeah, I think it's so important, right? Of like, of somehow <laughs> relating to that firm or to the, to the person on a personal level, right? Like yeah. I'm getting so many of my students saying, yeah, ha, ha, what's what's the thing to ask somebody in this interview? And I was like, you know, forget that, just like link in stock that firm that you wanna work at, find the intern or whoever, buy them a coffee, Get to know them, get to know their boss, get to know that, you know, like integrate yourself into it. Like, I think when I moved here, I thought I was like really hot shit with my, uh, my Ivy league degree. And then had, had trouble landing a job, but I'd like showed up at Joseph's door and, uh, he didn't give me a job, but like we became, <laughs> became friends and, and, uh, and <laughs> you were going to pay me, to, uh, <laughs> no? uh, but I think You're like, Ivy
5: league.
2: Oh, right, right, but, uh, I, like there were so many of those things where I, I, I was just reaching out to people and, and trying to become friends and, and trying to integrate them integrate uh, in as like sort of mentors. and those things eventually like became jobs or became other things or became this podcast really. Uh, and so it's like find that passion for what you want to do and who you want to work for and, and uh, express that pre- passion and, and relate on a, a personal level. Um let's switch gears one last question and we'll kind of go to the audience here. So to Becky, we'll go we'll go off from that tangent um but how how do you implement uh, sustainable design practices into planning and design process? Yeah,
6: that's a good question. So um we we actually have a performance checklist that every project we do goes through the checklist whether it's interior or architecture or planning. Um and not all of our clients will like want it to want the project to be ultimately sustainable, but we do everything we can to make it as an, you know as sustainable as we can so so it's helpful to start with that checklist because and we're at least thinking about all the all the pieces. Yeah.
2: What do you guys got anything else? We're just yeah, uh, I
4: was wondering what um. Uh... Programs, are you guys heavily mm-hmm. relying on your firms? Whether it's Revit or like AutoChat or SketchUp. Or Revit or either one. Yeah, uh, sure. I can go start. for it. Okay.
3: We start every project in SketchUp um, usually just because it's really fast and we can study some different things um, conceptually. Uh, but we do use Revit and SketchUp kind of sometimes we'll, we'll carry models simultaneously and we'll drop the SketchUp off. We might pick it back up just to study one little piece. Um, so, but mostly everything is in Revit.
6: We do the same thing. And then we render it in, in Enscape or um, Lumion or something to make it look good.
0: Yeah, very similar. Um, I would say you have to know how to use Revit really well uh, for us to be able to bring somebody on in our company um so a lot of times we will ask people to you know come back in a year or two when they have more experience with revit um if they don't already have that sketchup we use for for design thinking um but we also a lot of us still love to draw with our with these things and so we have the iPads and the i iP- you know the the really amazing pencil and then we use miro so we'll drop images into the miro and then we'll sketch over them and what's beautiful about that is we're all working remotely now more than we used to. So we can collaborate almost as if we're in the same
4: room with that tool. Very similar. Yeah. We say pen to paper first and foremost, get your thoughts out before you jump in the computer, because the computer, especially Revit, is Revit should never be used for design, in, that in my opinion. Um, it's a production
5: tool only. We
4: use SketchUp for all of our designing, so pen to paper, and then SketchUp. Um, I still use AutoCAD just because I'm old school and I can work through a floor plan really fast and efficiently that way. But then we do all of our production work in Revit, and
5: we render and scape and similar. But so thank you. Yeah. Um, what role does like, the technical side of like? Structural materials like can this actually be built? What about that side playing your conceptual part with up with concepts, or is that something you think about, or does it
4: ever like, come to a living view later? You definitely think about it mm-hmm. as you're designing for sure. And so, having that background knowledge of you know, as you're working through a concept of you know, how is this actually going to be built? How is this structurally going to be supported, even though you don't know exactly what the answer is but you're starting to think about you
5: know well all right
4: this canopy isn't going to be able to float out there 40 feet by itself you know like it looks cool but you know so you, you definitely think you have that knowledge in your in your head as you're working through a, a concept or design or an idea and having that background knowledge to think about the structural grid or how things are put together definitely helps inform how that design comes to life
0: at least for me. Yeah. For us? yeah. Yeah, I think maybe that's why you're hearing like Revit's not a great design tool because Revit mm-hmm. expects you to to make those decisions as you're, you know, con- conceptualizing. And I think that's where SketchUp is, per- you know, the preferred tool because you don't have to yet decide what that wall is. You just know you need like a vertical thing here. Um so people like me who I don't even use Revit, I I I get to cheat for a lot longer period of time without having to think about those things. But that's not necessarily a good thing, right? Especially the economy we have right now, where um, you know there seems to be a shortage of everything, and so you really do need to think locally, and you need to think about you know efficient. How can you get the most out of the materials that you're that you're that you're selecting? I think we used to be able to get away with a lot more. Of like, oh, I don't care if it's made in Italy; um, it can get here in two weeks. Uh, I think, for good reason, those days are beyond behind us, and and so I would I would suggest that material becomes part of the driving force of the you know of the design. Just for one, if nothing else, keep it on budget.
3: I think the other thing that's I I think important to know is that you're, you know, you're not alone. So as you're going through that, that design, like for us, we do, we do, we're, we're niche experts in housing and hospitality. So we, we're seeing the same systems over and over, you know, we're using them repeatedly and, and understanding kind of what you can do when, and, and, and figuring that out early in the process is, is really important. Um, we also do, you know, golf clubhouses. And so, Um, for example, we're working on one now and it's, um, it's mass timber and it's got, you know, a lot of really interesting details, but I think that the, the critical piece there is to understand that you have a team and to, to leverage that team as you go. So, you know, bringing on, um, you know, having those conversations with the structural engineer really early and talking about, you know, this is what I want to achieve and how am I going to get there and really having a great, um, working relationship with them can, can get you to a place where, you know, you can actually do some things that you, you might not have really realized that you could do. And, and, and your design becomes informed by, um, more about, you know, expressing the structure than maybe it would have if you didn't quite get, you know, how it should go together. So I think that, um, just remembering that you have all of these resources and that's a huge part of what your job is, is to kind of gather all those resources and bring them to the table at the right time. So, you know, getting them there, getting that structural engineer, uh, you know, early in the conversation and all of those things is, is super important.
2: Yeah, because I think it's interesting like that, your your question when you sent it in, right? Uh, it was worded, what what software design programs do you use daily, you know? And for, for each of you, it's probably mostly about the collaboration, right? And it's about bringing the people together and a lot less of drawing in Revit or something like that, but more of Excel or, or whatever, but... Um,
6: well, and even when we're drawing in Revit, we're we're sharing the model with structural and mechanical all the time. So it's on the cloud and it's being shared. So it's really it's a it's really collaborative. Yeah,
2: and I think you know talking about programs, uh, I'm trying to come up with the, with the right name for it, but I'm I'm I want to teach this class called like, uh, draw not shitty Revit or something like that because <laughs> I'm a big Revit fan and 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 in our office we start in Revit. And I think it's it's a tool and it's how you use it. And we're using a lot of conceptual masses and things like that where we're not defined to the the families that it gives us. Um, I, would, I I had uh, Peter Peter Eisenman for a studio in grad school and he said, no Revit. And I did Revit the entire semester and he never knew because mm-hmm. you were doing it in a different way, right? And you're not doing the sort of out of the box kind of stuff. Um, yeah,
3: I think that's a great point. I'm remembering that it's just a tool, and you know whatever tool is the best one for the moment is the one you need to use. And Revit tends to be the best tool for the documentation piece. And if you know how to use it the way that um, Adam's describing, then it's also the best tool at, at the beginning. And sometimes I will say to people working with us: is, "Is you know, I would do it in SketchUp, you can do it in Revit, but whatever tool you choose, it has to be the tool that you know how to to make it happen. And so, um, and it could be by hand or it could be in trace or
0: whatever. So I find people a lot of times at CEO Trooper, they're frustrated because they can't get the tool to do the thing they want to do. Mm
5: -hmm. That gets me
0: really excited, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's like, okay, that means you have an idea, right? Like you're, you have more conviction about this thing than the palette of tools and the toolkit are giving you versus, you know, the, you know, let me just learn all the rules of this software and then do exactly as it says, right? Uh, So I, it's 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 not profitable to be fighting with the software, but i do I do appreciate it now and again you know we're we're like forcing this to do something that it doesn't want to do um and I think that's kind of what you're saying it's like Eisenman didn't want to see it because he had this he had this sort of maybe limited idea of what you could do with it, and then you did something else with it you he didn't, didn't even know mm-hmm. um that you were using that tool yeah.
3: What else? I have a question. Um, what would you
5: guys consider a red flag in someone who's applying to work at
4: your firm? It's like something like, "Oh yeah, I'm not hiring that person." i like, I doesn't immediately go to work? Well, so I, I I did the interview prep a couple of weeks ago here, and I think your portfolio is really important as a first impression. If you if you're called in for an interview based off your portfolio, you, you got your foot in the door already because you made it to that point and you're talking to one of us at that point. And so, you know, it's really about showing your personality and whether you're a good cultural fit at that point, because you're going to learn the programs and the things that you need to do. So really focus on that portfolio. And as Nicole said, you know, that ability to show how you can think through a problem and solve it and, but also graphically, Make sure that it's well done, you know, look at, look online and find the best examples of portfolios you can find and what people are doing and not necessarily copy it, but mimic it, you know, like take those cues of what makes it great and follow that, you know, and, and create something that is your own. But that is what is going to get your foot in the door. And once you're in the door, then it's really about culture fit. And so just, like I said, be your authentic self. And because it's really a, at that point, it's, it's almost dating, right? You know, not only do we want it to be a cultural fit for us, but we want it to be a cultural fit for you. Because if you're not happy there in the long run, then one bad person can bring the whole culture down, in the entire firm. So it's really important that you mesh. And so it's, you know, I wouldn't say there's necessarily a red flag. Maybe it's like, oh, I love this firm so much, and I really want to work there. But once you get in there, you start to talk to them, and you, and you understand how they work or what their culture is like, you know, if it's not a good fit, make sure you're understanding what you want, what you value, what your needs are. Cause you might be like, well, actually, I think I'm good. I'm going to, I'm going to go to this other group, you know, and talk to them. So, you know, red flags, I don't know, you know, in my opinion, it's, it's more about making sure that you're happy where you're going to be and that we're happy to have you, you know, and, and we've already, if we're talking to you, then, We've we've already seen something in you to get you to that point.
2: I feel like there's, it's like okay, yeah, you want to have a really good portfolio. Uh, I see my students' portfolio and I'm like, where where was that? Where's that study model you did? Like where's that where's that sketch you did? Whatever, you know, like sometimes you like purify it too much of everything. And it's like I think there's a lot of value to like those study models of those other models. But it's it's really about going online and seeing how do people photograph these in a really good way. And and so you you can see the early ideas in the process, but it's still well done, and it's not like that crappy like chipboard thing on a black background with the dust and like, but it's like lit well, and you know I think those go a long way.
6: Yeah, those tell you some skills that you might not see from the final product, too, right? right? So um, I agree, they're super yeah. important to show. Like
2: how many like Lumion, straight Lumion renderings are you seeing in portfolios like over and over? Right? It's like right. how do you how do you get that behind the the scenes thought?
6: Yeah. Or even like, what was your story behind that project design? Mm-hmm. And like, where did you start and how did you get there? And then you can show the final, right? But the, right. the, process? the process is important. Yeah. yeah.
5: Yeah.
3: Tell your story.
6: In the graphically, how it's graphically presented
3: is super important too, because um, you spend a lot of time communicating your ideas yeah. as you, you know, work <clears> and, and just seeing that you can put it together in a way that reads well. That looks crisp. I mean,
6: that tells a lot about your design aesthetic. So that's that is really important. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not getting in the door, it might be the graphics, right? Yeah. Just switching that might catch somebody's.
5: For sure. Or you need to buy. Like using the right property.
6: fly. Yeah. yeah. Don't have spelling errors in there.
5: It doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Don't
4: have words.
6: Not as many words. <laughs> <laughs> More pictures. Figure, not figure as hard to read.
4: Figure out how you can tell your design process through graphics yeah, and your story through graphics. If you could do
2: that, that'll impress me. Yeah. It's about simplifying that layout, right? It's like yeah. not overly complicated. Just have one nice big thing.
6: And also put stuff on your resume that you're interested in. Like talking about yourself too, like these are whatever your hobbies are or other things you're interested in besides just these are the places I worked, right? So that, that does matter. Yeah.
4: Like Brandon, he's a big uh, horse guy.
6: <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you find the connection that way, right? So that's true. Yeah. You're going to get a lot of horse portfolios, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not
2: a student, but I'm just curious to know what do you think helps folks stand out besides portfolio or maybe resume? Are there other
3: things that students can do to
5: stand
6: out? Well, I think, I mean, asking the questions or just calling or emailing directly to some of us, like, like, I don't mind, like I get those emails and then I might forward them to HR, but suddenly it's logged in my head that somebody's like, you know, willing to just reach out and talk to us. Right. So we're not that scary, but when it only goes through Mm -hmm. HR, like I might see something that HR might not even see. So I
4: think you know. I think the other thing is getting involved too. You know, getting involved in the IAS and the connections that you make there, and the people that you meet through that. Um, it, you know, as a professional, getting involved in AIA and joining a committee, and and just really understanding how you can grow your network. And because a lot of the times it's about who you know too, right? And so think about you know, I, I always say it's like. I'm, I'm always happy to meet new people because you don't know where those relationships will take you um, down the road. You know, like you might get called up 10 years later and be like, hey, so and so, I got this project. Do you guys want to do it? You know, whether they're in architecture or not, you know, go hang out at the business school, meet some yeah. future wealthy people <laughs> that will fund your projects, right? So.
6: And we're sort of a small community, like in the big picture, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I've worked with Brandon's wife. Like I've worked with your sister. Like you have some of my old staff, like we're like, okay. it's, yeah, it's, like, it's a smaller community than it seems. Right. So like using that network, if you really want, like, I want to do this kind of work, like somebody you're talking to might know, oh, well, you should talk to Nicole because that's what she does. Right. right?
4: And that, that introduction <laughs> from
3: someone else really goes a long way. Yeah. I think also just showing up in an office sometimes is, um, is a good way to just, you know, knock on the door, drop, you know, hand drop off your resume and, um, just, you know, maybe you can talk to just the front desk person, but that really would differentiate you from, uh, you know, a bunch of resumes that come in, you know, or portfolios that come in, you know, through, through email. So sometimes even the tangible piece, it could just be one sketch
6: and your resume, is um, is a great opener.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: And Maybe Adam said this before, but when you get an interview, like know who you're interviewing with. So, like I interviewed somebody the other day that was not a student, but switching jobs, and like that guy knew everything that I worked on, right? Like he stalked <laughs> everything. So, but but it was it, but it made it an interesting conversation because he'd actually done so much research on what we do, um, which was impressive, right? It doesn't you just have to know who's going to be in there. It doesn't take very much searching on the internet. Yeah. So, any really good questions because of that. Because he'd already stalked, like, how come he didn't do lead on this project, right? Well,
5: good question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but
6: they were good. They were the yeah. right questions. Yeah. Yeah, I wish we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: I mean, and I think like to Nicole's point of like walking into a firm, you know, it can be so scary. And I think getting over that idea of like failure, like you're going to get a lot of rejections and you're going to get a lot of people not emailing you back, but to not let that down right to to keep going and the people who do pick up the phone or who do talk to you in person like those are the people you want to know anyway right like the rest you know maybe keep trying if you really want it but otherwise you find the people who who are genuine in their interest of you
5: i would say
0: also think about why you know answer the question why because at the end of the day you're really you're trying to differentiate yourself and if you could say why you're interested in a job with a particular company, you're likely gonna differentiate differentiate yourself just by explaining that, because it's highly unlikely, it'd be quite a coincidence if there was another person with the same answer to why they wanted. Unless, of course, it is that very sort of familiar response of I need a job or I need money, right? But if you really ask yourself why, why do I want to go work at this company and put some thought into that and then I'm always intrigued by like the first couple sentences, because to your point, like no words, right? Like you're not going to read a dissertation. Um, but I'm not going to read anything. To be honest. <laughs> Adam's not going to read anything. I will read a couple of sentences a couple. at the top, and that, that's either like that's going to be intriguing or it's going to, you know,
2: not connect with, our, with what we're looking for. So someone should try to get a job at Ross Shepard with only words, no pictures. (laughs) (laughs) You have to be like the best. uh,
6: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that'd
2: be interesting. uh,
6: (laughs) Well, and I also maybe um, like when I moved to Denver and did production housing, and you started, it wasn't like my dream to do production housing, but I had three offers, and Davis said, "Well, we'll put you in our firm, but you're going to do marketing for like the next two years, right?" And I'm like, "I already did that as an intern, you know, and during school, so." I'd love to work at Davis turned them down and did production housing instead because it, because my why at that point was I wanted to learn to like, we didn't even learn how to draw CAD at the time in school. So like I could get into CAD and I could like understand the whole building and so like, but I, but it was a spring point. It wasn't necessarily like, Oh, I'm going to go into production housing and that's why I'm going to stay in forever. Right. So, but I, but absorb whatever you can from it and then spring to the next thing. Right. So, Oh
0: yeah. Always selfish.
6: Yeah. Always get out <laughs> it of it. good.
4: What you want to get out of
6: yeah. it. Yeah.
5: For
4: sure. Yep. So. And be honest about that too. you're we talking to you. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, even when our employees that we have working for us, you know, if they're We rely on them to tell us what they want to learn and how they can grow professionally and to come to us. And because we can't read their minds, you know, if they want to work on a big PD project and they've only been working on restaurants, they need to communicate that to us. So that way, the next opportunity that comes up, we can be like, hey, this is a great fit for you. This That experience. And so once again, you know, know what you want to do and make sure that you're able to communicate that.
2: And it's not that you should have like everything planned out, right? But it's, yeah. but it's the idea of like sort of designing your career the same way you might go about designing a project, right? Like you don't necessarily know, but you have intention of what you're doing and intention of who you're going after. And um,
6: and take a step and then it'll lead to the
2: next
4: right. one, right? Yeah. yeah. And I know like through AIS and AIA, they do <coughs> there are opportunities to do firm tours, you know? Mm-hmm. Go out there and take advantage of that and understand what it's like to work at a big firm. Versus that firm like ours, where we're 14 people, it's, it's completely different. You know, it's, you know, everyone in our firm has to know how to do everything pretty best. Versus if you're starting at a large firm, you might be just picking up red lines for someone for a while. I don't know. I, I've never worked at a large firm, but.
6: And we would have a checklist, but you might not, because
4: exactly. somebody there is going to make a checklist. Exactly. So <laughs> it's just completely different, you know. So understand what culture you want to be a part of. Really, it comes down to culture. You're spending majority of your time working in an environment and if it's not the right fit for you, you're going to be fucking miserable. So, figure out where you want to be and go and try to find that.
5: I think it goes to what you were talking about. What you got most out of school and those relationships and it was kind of the why you were enjoying those people and the why you went to the firm you went to stuff like that and um, I know that whenever I worked we worked together that was the firm I wanted to work at straight out of school. Unfortunately I'd already accepted another job somewhere before my call me. Um, but four years later and mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden I knew somebody that was working there mm-hmm. and got in the door. By that time I had a portfolio that looked nothing like what you guys did. Mm-hmm. But I got in the door and my actually told me he's like, with this portfolio, if I would have seen this, no way you'd be sitting about it, <laughs> because I was doing all resort work. You know? And but just the fact that it was a like-minded person, um, and uh, you could just communicate with him, and it just clicked, you know, as you're talking to him because it's somebody who thinks about the thing, the way you think about things. Yeah, I think that was the why it was really the important portion there. And you connected at the interview with Michael, or was it? Yeah, a, yeah. yeah, just in the interview. He was yep. just sitting there. He's like, he's like, okay, it's like these are, art. This is architecture. He's like, yep. let's talk about architecture. We just talked, and he's like, this is how you get the job. Yeah, like architecture and horses. Like, can I get? It? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: well let's see, we're we're getting kinda kinda later. Is there uh one one more question, maybe? A burning burning question? Yeah.
5: How much
4: uh film and video do your berms or you use? Us Love personally? We don't use any film or video. Personally.
0: So I tried to convince this school about 15 years ago to have a class that only used and back then these camcorders are like you know but nobody was interested. I I I wish we used it more. I wish that because again I'm I'm very much focused on the experience, not the picture. And nowadays, you know, you can get great videos with just about any de- like affordable device. And you can do time lapse and you can do uh, all sorts of like trickery with it to to extract information um, I wish we did a lot more of it than we do it doesn't seem to the only way we've seem to be able to get paid to do it so far is if it's part of our design process that equates to like goal setting like the client sees value in it um, and and Otherwise they, they look at it as, well, that's just you having fun, right? Like that doesn't, that's not for us. That, that was like something that you chose to do. So I think until it becomes more integrated into our scope of services, it's going to be difficult for us to, to be using it as much as I would like.
6: So I've used it a lot because, um, in the, in the resort village, uh, realm like a lot of times we're doing flythroughs or like we'll take a drone and fly through the existing context and then have our building coming out of Vale Mountain or you know so we can see it. So um, the the way we're using it the most is to communicate what like the mass and scale and the design of the building and how it fits into the context to the people like the laymen who are coming to the city council meeting or the planning department meeting and um, how you know how do you best communicate that that's not just the drawings and they seem to understand it better. So we've had to, we've done that in steamboat. Like we had to build a whole model of like the whole base area at steamboat we built so that we could fly around it. So
3: we've used it just in terms of like 3d scanning mostly, I guess. I mean, that's not exactly what you're asking, but it's, it's sort of similar Um, where we've done, we do historic renovation work. And so, um, you know, having that, that whole 3D scan of a building is, you know, very helpful. And, um, you know, even though you can't see into the walls, you can see and you can be sitting at your desk and then go back and forth to these um, really interesting scans and also bringing that scan right into Revit. So um, not video adjacent, I would say. <laughs> can I ask
0: you why you asked that question?
5: I'm just super into it. I was wondering if I could blend the two inches. For sure, yeah.
6: Yeah, like video fly through and like virtual reality stuff. I mean, it's like um, it helps to communicate it. Thank you.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and going off on that last question that came in from uh, Skippy uh, money or fame? Money.
5: Money. <laughs> <laughs> money. <laughs> <laughs> you already have the
0: fame. So you, you, no, you I don't want the fame. the fame. No, I, want, I just want the <laughs> money so I don't have to work. <laughs> You know, I was just talking about this earlier. Like, I just want to go build that mausoleum project in the
2: you know, next to the runway. You want enough money so you can work on just no, the things you want money to do? So I don't
5: have to work, <laughs> work on the work on the mausoleum. That'll be fun. That won't be work. Yeah, cool. All right,
0: well, well you, I want to hear the answers yeah, yeah, to yeah, the right. money or fame. I didn't get to hear yeah. it. it's part of the
6: fame for me. Thing for you. No, i kidding. Yeah. I'd pick the money too. Yeah. Mine, I know.
4: Just well, money sounds good. <laughs> One day
5: I'll have some.
2: Well <laughs> after this podcast episode, you're all gonna be famous. So uh, it's check check that box. But uh, no, so thank thanks guys again for inviting us here and uh, this this uh, this venue and for sitting down and being interested and good luck. Thanks. Thank you.
1: You can visit architecting.com, that's architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest.
3: And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Have a great week and keep connecting.